Hello, you are listening to Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. Welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show, a weekly radio program that spotlights positive real estate development and neighborhood revitalization throughout Philadelphia. I'm your host, Derek Hengemill. Jumpstart Philly is a unique community development program that trains, mentors, networks, and provides funding to aspiring real estate developers in seven different Philadelphia neighborhoods, including Germantown, where the program was founded. Jumpstart believes that you can do well by doing good and focuses on removing neighborhood blight, scattered site rehab, creating a healthy mix of affordable and market rate housing, and avoiding gentrification through slow, steady growth and keeping wealth local. Interviews are conducted during Jumpstart Germantown's weekly Jump in Our series on Monday nights at 7 p.m. held via Zoom webinar. And for more information about these events, you can check out the events page at jumpstartgermantown.com. This week, I'll be speaking with an accredited appraiser, Felix Aguirre, about everything Jumpstarters need to know about residential appraisals. I hope you enjoy the conversation, and be sure to check out the podcast version of this program at jumpstartgermantown.com media. Felix is a certified residential real estate appraiser licensed in Pennsylvania. He performs appraisals for single-family to quad-unit properties in the greater Philadelphia area. Prior to working as an appraiser, Felix worked for major oil companies and engineering companies and held positions in computer-aided drafting and design, construction maintenance, and environmental compliance. He has a BS in civil technology from the University of Houston and is a member of the ASA, which is the American Society of Appraisers, in the Philadelphia chapter. So it's great to have him tonight, and I'll let him just introduce himself uh, real quick. Felix, how you going? How pretty you doing? good. Yeah, Derek, uh, I believe you've done, you know, a pretty good in- uh, introduction. I uh, I could only go downhill from where you left me, so. <laughs> <laughs> great. Well, uh, why don't why don't we start off? Maybe you can just uh, tell us about your background a little bit, and and maybe that's a good way for you to introduce introduce yourself personally. Uh, yeah, how'd you get into appraising? Okay, well, you know, uh, just to be honest, I got laid off. It's, it's that simple. Wow. <laughs> I, I, was, I, was working, yeah, I was working for a, an oil company uh, after being relocated uh, in, 19, uh, in uh, 1998 uh, from the uh, Portland, Oregon area. And uh, <clears throat> I was covering um, about 200 service stations uh, from the standpoint of construction maintenance. In other words, say they had a problem with one of their tanks, one of their pumps, et cetera, you know, I would have to keep up with that and maintain a group of contractors to get out there, resolve the problem and, you know, kind of kind of coordinate all those issues. Right. Uh, they decided to sell those facilities. Once they did that, they eliminated my territory. Okay. So without a territory, at least me without a job and without a job, you know, I wanted to get into something that didn't involve sales. So I started, you know, inquiring around, found out that uh, in real estate, uh, you don't necessarily have to sell to be involved with real estate. You could appraise. Uh, appraisal has more to do with analyzing and doing some of the things that I was doing before, like uh, inspecting properties, looking at properties, looking at the site, surrounding the properties. And that kind of appealed to me. So that that got me into it. Cool. Yeah, well, I guess if you can inspect an oil rig, you can certainly inspect a, a Philly row home. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't an, uh, an oil rig. But for example, when I was in Oregon, <clears throat> I was in a facility that was a, uh, a marine uh, terminal that received gasoline, you know, from mm-hmm. barges. 
And, uh, you know, that was a pretty large facility. It had quite a few tanks, uh, diesel, gasoline. So a lot of things happened, you know, uh, that, that uh, could involve environmental compliance, construction, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, if you have a perspective for that, you can mm-hmm. translate it to something smaller. Gotcha. So then what exactly type of appraising do you do nowadays? And uh, what are your typical clients like? Well, typical clients are primarily banks, uh, but there are also individuals. There are individuals that uh, want to get a, an idea of the, the property they're living in for future sale. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes, you know, you have unfortunate circumstances like a divorce and you have to have a settlement of uh, assets between the parties. So that requires an appraisal. And sometimes, you know, you get called in for an inheritance tax situation, you know, uh, and there are other cases, uh, but primarily about 80% of the business has to do with lending and banks, you know, yeah. lending, right. lending right. purposes. So, um, you know, it, it sounds like you have a, a lot of experience in a lot of different types of appraising and, and a lot of parts of the industry. Um, and I'm sure that makes you quite adept for, for estimating a home's value. And, and, and that kind of proves the point as to why you're telling us about raising rather than just some, some, someone who knows a lot about real estate, right? It's, it's more of a, it's a calculated craft, would you say? It's a calculated craft and you do have to have a sense. They've attempted to quantify as much as possible. And when I say they, I mean like the major entities like, you know, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, some, some of the uh, aspects of uh, real estate appraising, uh, but there's still an art to it. So, you know, you, you, you know, you can only quantify so much. So at some point you have to understand neighborhoods, get trends, and all that kind of stuff uh, before you could start coming up with an idea where the value needs to be for a certain area. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I'm looking forward to talking about is those, those trends and stuff that stuff that, that happens outside the home that, that changes its value rather than, than the bones of it. Sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, so, so I, I want to jump into uh, like the actual, the meat of an appraisal and what, and what the process looks like. But before we get there, I kind of want to tie, tie, the, tie the, the topics here together because you have a call full of developers, not a call full of bankers. And, uh, sure, I understand. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, that, that's, your, uh, that's your clientele. It, it's, it's great to have you here and you can kind of give, give us the other side of the perspective and, and uh, look at it from a, a different angle than, than what people would you know, a developer would typically see as an, an appraisal as. Um, so, so what is an appraisal to a, a single family home developer or somebody who's doing their first, second or third project? You know, what does it mean for them and, and when are they going to okay. be considering it? Okay. It's a fair question. Uh, I would imagine, and, and again, <clears throat> from your perspective, I'm not exactly sure how your program works, mm-hmm. but I would imagine you have to have some seed money before you mm-hmm. start the process. Right. Uh, for an example, I don't know, with your program, how much, how much you loan, but isn't someone that's starting to develop supposed to come in with say 40, 50, $60,000 for starters. Right. So for, for jumpstart, for example, it's an 85% loan to cost ratio. So we fund 85 and you have to bring 25 to, or, sorry, 15 to settlement. Okay. So they have to come up with $15,000 where it's not easy to come up with $15,000. Correct. Right. So that's a possibility. I don't know, but possibly a cash out refi on an existing property or one of their investment properties mm-hmm. to come up with a 15, 20, $25,000. Mm-hmm. And that would require an appraisal, a lending appraisal. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that's so, one option. 
Yeah, so that's before de- before development, right? Um, right, so before that, development. Right. right. So, so it seems like that's the first option. Then, what about on the other side of things? You know, once you you finish a development, could you be considering a rate reappraisal or an appraisal then? Like, especially when looking at refinancing. Well, in that case, what I would think might come into play. Say, for example, a developer has finished. Let's take, you know, a mid to smaller type of developer who's just bought a single family home rehabbed it and got it ready to resell, right? Mm-hmm. That person may be wanting to continue and add more properties to their portfolio, right? They're just starting, they want to grow. So mm-hmm. they may want to take that property, sell it, right? Mm-hmm. And obtain a refi so they could obtain monies for the next project. Mm-hmm. So that would that would require an appraisal, right? Yeah. So, you know, in, in going to the second, third, fourth properties, would require appraisals. Yeah. So, that, you know, learning that process would become important, especially if you want to grow, you know, as you, as you go. Yeah. So, so now let's take a step back and go even more basic. And, and what's your definition of an appraisal? You know, is it, is it a, is it a dollar amount? Is it a, a report or, or, or some, I, you even mentioned to me how, how you can do an appraisal for the rent of a property. Um, but, but what would you say is like the textbook appraiser's definition of an, an appraisal? Well, an, an appraisal essentially is an opinion of value. Okay. Mm-hmm. But how you get to the opinion of value is the process of developing the appraisal, right? Cause right. anybody can come up with a number. However, if you happen to be a, an appraiser, a licensed or certified appraiser, mm-hmm. if you give somebody that number, it becomes an appraisal. Mm-hmm. So you have to be careful how you develop that number. Mm-hmm. What, what's been arrived at to uh, kind of legitimize the process for appraisers is something called USPAP. It's a uniform standards for professional appraisal practice. It is a set of guidance on how to come up with a finished product. And it doesn't, you know, it's not... Uh, you could expand on it, but it is a minimum that all appraisers have to adhere to. Mm-hmm. There and uh, the uh, the standards are such that they tell you how to ethically come up with an appraiser appraisal. They tell you how to prepare the appraisal. They tell you how to uh, um, the minimum standards uh, as far as uh, maintaining ethics, um, as maintaining records, mm-hmm. as uh, you know. Uh, maintaining all the records and all that. So it's all written down. And the, the main purpose for it is so, so people have trust. And, uh, un, you know, it's not just a number that somebody came up with, but something that's been uh, not not just written and, and provided to the appraisers, but actually becomes law. Because based on that document, uh, the state of Pennsylvania could actually issue penalties and they could, you know, just monetary pen- penalties and even uh, jail time, actually, if somebody violates USPAP to that degree. So there, it always refers back to USPAP. Now, it has a lot of flexibility if you read it, but, you know, you can't just make uh, large errors that that mislead the the client. The And, and in this case, it would be the uh, developer that hires the appraiser. Right. Yeah. So it sounds like it's it's a little bit more involved than just a, a number that they're giving you. It's 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 a real comprehensive look at the the entire you know a, a, all the different. That's, right. That's what it's supposed to be. Yes. And and that's why that basically that's the difference between uh a, you know for example an agent say yeah I'll list your property for X. Right. 
and versus an appraiser saying, okay, I appraise your, your, your property for X because you know, an agent has that flexibility. They, you know, they say, okay, I'm, on, I'm out on the street. I know how many listings I made. Uh, I, you know, I'm ethically bound to some degree, but I don't have a governing body telling me that I have to do X, Y, Z before I can come up with an opinion. I can come up with an opinion. I'm free to do that. Sure. Now I want to ask you uh, your, your tips for someone who is, you know, maybe looking to do their first, first refi, you know, they just bought a property and rehabbed it and they're ready to, to rent it out and, and get a refinance on their loan. Where does someone begin to look for that? Um, you know, like we don't provide a list of, of refinance or, or um, you know, appraisers or anything, or, you know, you might not know that if you don't have friends that are in the real estate industry. And, and this is, I'm setting you up if you want to plug your own, your own services uh, here right now, but uh, well, where do you suggest <clears throat> someone looks okay in, in the case of this particular group of people who are investors mm -hmm. it's always good to find appraisers that are familiar with the area you're in for starters okay and that's pretty easy because the state of pennsylvania uh, always provides uh, a list of appraisers by address mm -hmm. so you could always pinpoint you know if you do us get into the you know pa.gov and just navigate down drill down until you get to the appraiser section you can find appraisers in your area. Uh, so that's a real general way to look for appraisers. Uh, in, in my case, in, in my organization, the American Society of, of Appraisers Philadelphia chapter, uh, we have appraisers that you know uh, work in the Philadelphia area, obviously, and are familiar you know, with the, the, uh, the various neighborhoods. So basically that, that would be one of the first questions you would want to ask the appraiser, you know, are you familiar with the general neighborhood I, I'm in, you know? So, you know, you don't want to get somebody coming in from, you know, out of county, way out of county uh, mm -hmm. to, to do the area you're in, if, especially if they're not experienced, which is one of the things that come up, comes up in, uh, in USPAP. It's uh, geographic competency, very important part of uh, USPAP, so. And then do you just, you know, select, select which one finds right? Or is there any weight in that decision of like, if you have two candidates, should you be looking for certain qualities in, in one another? Or is it pretty much a, a, like a standard practice? Well, uh, the number of years do not necessarily tell you, you know, how, how experienced the person is. You know, you could have an appraiser that's been appraising for 30 years, but they may have been doing the same thing over and over and over again. So they really haven't learned any, anything, you know, with breath, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the general questions you would ask is some, some of the questions you're asking here in this webinar, you know, it's like how much experience do you have with investors? You know, just yeah. ask general questions like that. How familiar are, are you, are you with this specific neighborhood? You mm -hmm. know, have you done some appraisals in this neighborhood? What right. types of appraisals? So let's uh, let's talk about uh, the, the appraisal process, and I know you have a unique perspective of this because you are an appraiser. Um, but maybe we can walk through, you know, once someone decides that they need to get an appraisal done, to whenever they end that process. Um, you know, what, what what does that look like, and where does it start? Does it start with a, a physical site inspection? It doesn't have to be a site inspection, although I think that it helps a lot uh, if you have. You know, if you're meeting woman appraiser for the first time, you know, this would be a good, great opportunity to answer some of the questions you were just asking about how, you know, how is, how does this appraiser, uh, feed, you know, what kind of experiences does he have and or she have in this specific neighborhood? Mm -hmm. So if you happen to meet with the appraiser, this would be a great time to, you know, sort that out because you'll ask him or her questions directly about that. So uh, that's a good starting point to have the physical inspection of the property. At the same time, 
This gives the appraiser and the client the opportunity to, you know, work through the scope, you know, just like you have a construction scope of work, you have an appraisal scope of work, mm -hmm. which defines the, the main steps that you need to take to come up with the opinion, the eventual opinion of value. So if you're able to, you know, do the site inspe in inspection at the same time, get, get a good definition of the scope and understand the purpose for the appraisal, you know, it all makes the rest of the work flow a lot better, in my opinion. It doesn't have to be done that way. As long as you have enough data, you can do it either, you know, as a drive-by, which is a common way to do it. You could even do it as a desktop, as long as enough data is there to come up with the desired, you know, desired eventual opinion of value, you know. Okay. All right. So once that, once that site visit happens and, and you're, you're moving along, uh, you know, whether you do it or not, what, what would the next thing you look at to be? So let's look at it from two perspectives, I guess. Maybe the first is uh, before the project is developed. So you're walking into like a gutted home or a home that's, you know, in, okay. in the day and ready to get rehabbed. Um, okay. You know, All right. All right. Why don't, why don't we just make it even more specific? You have a gutted home and it's a single family home. Okay. So the thing I would look for as an appraiser would be to try to get as much information on that proposed improvement as I can. Mm -hmm. If I can get a drawing, that would be ideal. Mm -hmm. If I get a drawing from, from the client that tells me, okay, this particular house is going to have, I don't know, three, four bedrooms, two mm -hmm. baths. It's going to have a finished basement eventually. Mm -hmm. It may have a, a driveway for parking. It may even have a, a parking garage. Mm -hmm. It makes it so much, so much better to, be able to account for all those factors so that when you're comping out the property, you know what you're looking for. I mean, even if it's gutted, I'm going to be able to come up with square footage. I'm going to be able to come up with finishes because I'm going to ask for, you know, the, the specifications of what, you know, the finishes are going to be, be like. So you're going to be able to even comp out condition. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, these days, a real estate agent will give you so much information on a listing. It's unreal. I mean, they will give you finishes. They will give you how recent was the finishes were made. If you take the time to, you know, scan through the photos, there there'll be forty photos listed in the MLS, the multiple listing service. Right. So you know, if you could get that up front from the client, it makes comping out a lot easier. Right. So so a developer who's looking, like we said in that case, to to get financing for a project, you know, based before the work starts. They should really be, be working to get all that information they can to the appraiser, right? That's on. That's Absolutely. On, that's yes. On and they, they would probably want to do that anyway, right? Because if they're going to have that eventually built, right, you mm -hmm. need to have that information right. provided to the contractor. Right. So if you're doing your job right, you should. it should be no, no easy. It's an extra you don't want to have it in a, in a little napkin somewhere, you know. Yeah. You have, right. you know. <laughs> sure. Um, Cool. So, so then I, I guess that's, that's as much as we can talk about in the home. And uh, now, now tell me what, what goes on in the, the comparable like search outside of the, the home and the neighborhood and the trends, like you were saying. Okay. Uh, well, you know, being in the Philadelphia area, you know what happens that you could be in a specific neighborhood and all of a sudden you're driving around and you, you see a, a house selling for $60,000 and you go down three blocks and all of a sudden the house is selling for $500,000 and you're wondering what the heck is going on. The shell is similar, you know? So you, you have to kind of ferret out what's, what's happening. You know, it's just, it's a shell. It's just a REO, uh, you know, it's a distress sale. Mm -hmm. So 
that uh, that analysis, that kind of mentality has to play in, you know, as you go from block to block to block, you know. And <clears throat> if, if you're able to find the most similar comps, you're going you're gonna to have better results. In other words, you have properties that you could tell are, you know, they are re they're rehab for resale, really nicely done. And your property is going to be the same way. It's going to be a, a rehab for resale. Then you have, a, you have a pretty decent comp, provided that they're, the other things are similar, like they're close to each other, recent sales, and the, uh, the distance between them is, you know, reasonable. You don't want to be, you know, miles apart, especially right. in Philadelphia. Right. And are appraisers just using like common realtor tools like MLS and, and services like that? Or is there some. Yeah, there's no, there is no magic as far as what appraisers refer to. I mean, uh, for the, for the most part, most appraisers in our area use bright MLS mm -hmm. as a primary a source of uh, finding comps and listings, bright MLS. And uh, you know, a lot of people use Redfin, a lot of people, you know, but uh, bright MLS, I would say is the predominant. The, the most used. Uh, I know there are plenty of others, but uh, that's the one I use. And most of the appraisers I deal with use bright MLS. Right. So, so then beyond just what, what the surrounding properties are selling for, how about market trends? You know, do you look into the, the analysis of, of the, the real estate market as a whole, or are you really just looking at those recent sales comps? Well, right now the market is crazy, as you probably know. Uh, the, uh, the, the lack of uh, available properties available for purchase has caused uh, uh, a real imbalanced market right now where there's competition for homes, but as things balance out, you know, usually what you find is that uh, the trend analysis gives you a pretty good idea of where the neighborhood is and uh, where it's been, you know, over the last year. So if you, you take, take a snapshot of the neighborhood in a year, you get a sense of where it's going, how fast it's, appreciating or depreciating. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as long as you're, you know, not out of the ballpark of that neighborhood, you, you should get a pretty good sense. Uh, and, you know, there's some uh, different differences of opinion. Uh, in general, uh, I've always looked at competitive properties when you're looking at the analysis. In other words, mm -hmm. any neighborhood in Philadelphia will have a property going a shell property going for $25,000 to a million dollars, you know, within half a mile radius. Yeah. So you can't just take that and come up with any significant analysis of where the, the market is. So you, you look at competitive properties to kind of narrow the range. You have to have a lot, but competitive, you know. Gotcha. So, so once all that data is gathered and once you get this, this full look at everything, is there, you know, is there like a formula that goes into this calculation of the, of the, the appraised value or, um, you know, do different appraisers do it differently or, or kind of, how do you get from the, uh, that well, large picture to a, to a dollar amount? From looking at the, from looking at the market, from looking at the market, what that does for you is in, in some cases, you're, you're only able to come up with a certain number of really good comps. Okay. Not all markets have a plentiful number of comps that are, you know, right. really good. So what happens is sometimes you have to make time adjustments to those comparables. Mm -hmm. And if you do a time adjustment, this is where this comes in. You, you know, you look at this overall market analysis, you say, oh, okay, this is appreciating about 6% mm -hmm. 
a year. So you break that down half a percent a month. Mm -hmm. So you make a time adjustment. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, in addition, you, you make adjustments for other things like differences in what we call GLA, which is gross living area, uh, the size of the home. And, and differences for other things like, you know, number of baths, whether or not it has a garage, mm -hmm. uh, various other things. As you, as you shrink down the differences, you know, the ideal, which you never reach the ideal, is for the comparables to be identical to the sub, what we call the subject, which is the property you're dealing with. Right. But it, that never happens. You always have variances. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's the, uh, the thought that, you know, you get perfect comps, you know, you adjust them down, they look just like your subject. Right. Okay. What happens that way. Yeah. Gotcha. And, and hopefully, you know, that's what would happen to the home, right? Is it is when it's finally developed and it's ready to sell, it fits right in there. It's not something way out of the blue, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and then, you know, once you have that dollar amount, how do you go about presenting that to uh, the developer? You know, does it come in the form of a report or do you just email them the dollar amount? What's that look like? It, it, a form of a report is usually the best thing to do. And let me explain why, okay? It's, it's not like a lending. In this case, it wouldn't be like a lending uh, form report, which is a lending form report. It's called a 1004, typically, if it's a full report. But it's, it's just like the, uh, the, the lending form report, except it has the specific scope that we talked about earlier, right? Tailored to that specific project. So, you know, you define the scope, you, the form is very, very similar to the lending form, and then you prepare the value within that form. Now, the reason why it's probably best to go that route is because even if you just pre prepared in a letter form or, or email form, like you said, the appraiser still has to maintain all those records in their office. Right. So the thought is, if you don't hand over the report, that file in your office has to be documented well enough to that somebody could pull it and generate that exact document that you told the client right. to back up that number. Right. So, so you know, you, you do it anyway, in yeah. essence, is what I'm saying. Yeah. So you so might as well come up with a report. Right. And that report kind of is like showing your work, right? It's, it's, it's showing your work. It's, yeah. it's out there. It's easier to show anybody, you know, you give, you know, you give the client a PDF or, you know, whatever version they want to use and, uh, they could just show it, you know, it's, uh, you know, they're the client and, you know, and that, and then that, that report should kind of serve as a, like a, a reference source for the developer, I guess, cause that's a, a bunch of information. That's a bunch of research. A lot of information. Uh, and you know, if, if what you're really interested in is obtaining a lot of good comps, uh, for, you know, sale purposes or whatever, you know, you make that up, you know, known up front and let the appraiser know, Hey, you know, just give me, give me six good comps, you know, yeah. whatever. So they, they know that, you know, I have to do a lot of extra work, but that's part of the, it's part of the deal. That's, you know, that's what they agreed upon. Gotcha. So, um, and I'm sure somebody has asked this in the, in the question and answer uh, so far, but my, my last question about the appraisal process is what happens when somebody disagrees? What happens when you, you hand over a report to somebody and they say, no, I don't think that's right at all. You okay. know, does that have any value to it? Or do you just say, sorry? <laughs> no, no, no. It has a lot of value, but yeah. the thing is you have to go back and you have to, you know, think about what may have gone wrong. Yeah. Number one, I, I would go back right to the starting process, the, the beginning. I said, did we do a, the proper scope of work? Did, did we miscommunicate at that point? Because that's, you know, that's like the most important part, right? Mm -hmm. So the, let's, let's get past that. Let's say we got that right. Then 
I would say let's let's look at the physical part of the appraisal. You know, did we miscommunicate in the number of bedrooms we're going to do, uh, the size of the property, the number of baths? Uh, is there, you know, did we get all that right? It could be that, you know, we missed it. <laughs> you know, you, you know, you, ex you expected, uh, you meaning the client expected four bedrooms and the appraiser understood three, you know, and, you know, basis appraisal on three, that's an obvious, you know, miscommunication. So that's, you know, and you need to go back and correct that. And, uh, you know, it could be that the comps that were selected were poor comps. And, uh, you know, if you have good knowledge of the comps in your area, you know, just mm -hmm. review them and present them to the appraisers as why didn't you use these, mm -hmm. you know? Right. So then, then if there is that, that disagreement and say the developer was right, they said, Hey, you got the not wrong number for this or, or whatever the reason may be, then do you just, do you just update the report and send it or do you have to go through any more? Yeah, if it's, if it's an, if, if it's an obvious uh, miscommunication, then you just go back and, and correct it. I mean, that's all there is to it. I mean, it's uh, anybody could miss, you know, misinterpret something if it's not, like I said, if you, if you start from the uh, scope work and you, you know, miss it at that point, it could just ripple, you know, it could have a trickling effect all the way through. So, sure. you know. Okay. All right. So I'm to get on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds, that's what it sounds like. And, uh, and I think my last question here before we move into Q and A, I see some, some people are submitting questions. So thank you for those who are doing that. Um, I want to tie it back again to, to the developer and then, and look at it from their perspective what tips do you have uh, for, you know, a first time, second time investor who, who's never gotten an appraisal before? What can they do to make sure that that appraisal goes smoothly and that, uh, you know, they get the value they're expecting? I think one thing we hit on early on was like showing or, or doing that due diligence and providing the appraiser with the, the work they need. But what tips do you have or, or what common mistakes have you seen? Uh, okay. you know? All right. The, the only thing that I'll, uh, I'll just put out there is that, you know, appraisers are especially certified appraisers in the state of PA or any state for that matter, they're not supposed to be uh, led in any one direction when it comes to doing an appraisal. In other words, if there's a predetermined value, the first thing that needs to happen, if you know, if it's no, known to the appraiser, there's, there's a predetermined value mm -hmm. by the uh, client, and then the appraisers, what they're supposed to do is just not accept the assignment. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, you know, they're supposed to come up with their own conclusions after they do the work. Mm -hmm. So, so that's number, that's the main thing. Uh, it, other than that, uh, you know, uh, I think we covered the other part, you know, if, if there is a disagreement, right? Mm -hmm. If you're just tuning in, this is a conversation with accredited appraiser Felix Aguirre about everything Jumpstarters need to know about residential appraisals. Thank you for listening to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show on Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. I hope you're enjoying the discussion. Um, so uh, Jihad is wondering, uh, are there different types of appraisals to arrive at a value? So uh, I guess maybe is that is there different strategies or is there a different, like could you, could you ask for a, a different classification of appraisal? Yes, uh, that's a good question. Uh, as far as the different types, I think maybe what he meant may have meant is, are there different approaches to it arriving at an opinion of value? And yes, there are different approaches. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, although the comp, you know, sales comparison approach is the most common, there are other approaches. Uh, for an ex for an example, uh, the uh, cost approach, it's most applicable 
when the property is newer, okay, say for example, you're doing a ground up building, then, then the cost approach is very applicable because you have a lot of cost manuals. The most common one is the Marshall and Swift Residential Cost Handbook. It's used by appraisers, used by insurance adjusters, uh, but there are plenty of others, okay? And they usually what they do is they maintain uh, the cost for the components of a home. And you, you know, based on that, you come up with an estimate for the building materials and an estimate of the site. You put the two together, you know, and you come up with the, uh, the total uh, cost and you subtract out the depreciation for the, you know, the age. It's like a 10 year old home, 15 year old home. Right. So that's one way to do it. And will the, will the appraisal, uh, or will the appraiser uh, communicate that the method that they're using or will- Sure, they... yeah, sure. You, you're supposed to reconcile uh, before you get the final opinion of value. You're supposed to come up with a reconciliation session explaining which method you used and why you gave the particular method more weight in the final opinion. Okay. So that that's one. So uh, there's another one uh, called the income approach, and that's right. You know, predominantly used when you're using uh, when you're dealing with rental properties. And what you do there is you come up with, uh, in the case of a residential appraiser, you come up with rents of comparable properties to come up with what's called a GRM, a gross rent multiplier, and if you have a GRM, if you have a sale price and you have the, uh, you know, you can come up with a value of a, of a house. So you have, you come up with several rentals to arrive at a GRM, you know, several comparable rentals, and then you could back into a value for the house. So that's another valid approach. Okay. And again, you would explain that in your reconciliation. Gotcha. All right. Um, next question here comes from, uh, Keith, and he's wondering what aspects of a property do not contribute to an appraisal? Uh, that's a good question. Do, what aspects of the property do not contribute to value or do not, com do not uh, come up in the appraisal? Um, uh, I guess you, maybe you can answer it the first way or, or the, the appraisal. So what aspects of a property do not contribute to an appraisal? Meaning, I guess if there's things that, that... Do not contribute to value? Yeah, yeah. So if two properties okay. had, had the exact same things except for one feature, it wouldn't matter. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, from my perspective, you know, like anything that you could take with, for example, a spa that you just put in the back of a big pickup truck and take to the next property, that probably would not contribute to value. Mm -hmm. uh, another another would be like a, you know, like one of these uh, above ground pools mm -hmm. typically is not contribute to value. You just break it down and take it somewhere else. Gotcha. Um, I, I hope that's what he meant with that yeah. question. I yeah, know. I think so. So anything that's not like fixed on the not property, fixed, right. Uh -huh. thing that that's not too hard to move. That makes sense. Um, the next question comes from Uche and they're wondering, how do you approach valuing small multifamilies? So one to four units, do you use comps, cap rate, multiple gross rents, any other metric? So uh, would, would a small multifamily unit be any different than, than the process you've described? No, it's very similar. You you do comps, right? And then you come up with rents, or the the same uh, process that I uh, mentioned a, a second ago, just a DRMs, come up with rent, rental uh, properties that are similar. And in, uh, in the two to four unit, they want to see both. They want to see the comp approach and the, the rental approach. So they'll want to get data on both. Now, and if you want to add more like the, the cost approach, if you feel it's applicable and you would add the third approach as well, but the, the two would be minimal 
the minimal approaches that you look at for uh, for a two to four. Okay. All right. Uh, so Lynette asks an another question. She's wondering, I've had an appraiser ask me what number I had in mind. Was that inappropriate? <laughs> and I think yeah. we'll know. Yeah, the that would be like where he could just turn his license at the door and say, bye-bye, Bertie. Cool. All right. That's a quick answer for that one. <laughs> Um, next comes from Carmela, and she's wondering, what about yard size? Does that affect the appraised value, and how much? Well, what's typical in, in your neighborhood? I mean, uh, you know, in some neighborhoods, it's typical to have one-plus acres because they have septic tanks. They need it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you get out and drive around the uh, you know, five counties surrounding, you know, five surrounding counties, you'll see that one, two acres just because they have the septic systems is required by their townships. And, you know, as you get closer into the city, you know, the smaller, you know, in South Philly, you could have a minuscule little patio, maybe eight by 10. And, you know, that's all you get. So how much does it contribute? You know, are you the only one that doesn't have a patio? <laughs> you know, it's nice to have a patio. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 interesting to see how much it ties back to what's in the surrounding area. You know. Yeah, it's like, it ties into that because yeah, you know to, if, if every single neighbor has a nice little, you know, you're able to put a little deck in the back, and you're the only one that doesn't have space for a deck. Then yeah, it's like almost less about what the property does or doesn't have. It's about what it has compared to everything. Compared else. to yes, that's important. Um, Okay, next question comes from Kim, and she's wondering, does a, basement, does a basement being finished or unfinished add to the value of an appraisal? Uh, a basement, if you have a two to four, a basement, the lower part is actually can be considered a, what they call GBA, gross building area. So, you know, like if you, if you have a, if you have a duplex up, you know, like above grade one, two, and then you finish the basement, then all of a sudden you have a triplex because mm -hmm. you finished a third unit as right. long as you have the prop proper ingress egress so yeah absolutely it adds value okay yeah. you know, it's important to make sure it's you know uh uh dry you don't want a basement to you know, get mold and all that kind of stuff so you know um and, and we're on a nice pattern of questions here the next person is asking does the apply or do the appliances that are in a household contribute to the appraised value so i guess that's something that could be considered fixed or not fixed like a washer dryer well it's a little different because you know like appliances in the kitchen for example the range you know the range uh you know you could mm -hmm. theoretically take the range out but you know appliances do obviously add a lot you know you want to Get, get into a kitchen that's well equipped with a fridge, range, dishwasher. So the, all those add to value, right? Gotcha. Um, and next we have a question from Damani and she's wondering how big of a role does price per square footage play with your assessment with the subject and comparables? Do you consider this an ad adjustment in your report? So that, again, that's price per square footage. Okay, it, you know, absolutely in, in, especially in the case of the, as you compare it to other comps in the neighborhood, uh, you know, you, you could end up with a situation where you're just not finding comps and you have what's considered a large variance. Say you're com comparing a 1500 square foot home to a 2500 square foot home. Uh, you know, in some cases, the, uh, the square footage is not gonna contribute as much, but at any rate, you could do an analysis to see how much square footage is contributing to value. Mm -hmm. That information is, you could abstract, you know, you could obtain it by looking at it, you know, do analysis to get that information. So yes, it, it absolutely does, yes. 
Uh, next question comes from Tariq, and he's wondering what improvements, features, or trims do you see properties tend to include but do not generate a, a return on investment? So he's thinking like a developer here, and he's thinking, yes. what, can, what can I skip that'll that'll what not can you skip? Yeah. Well, uh, obviously, the things that you know get looked at a lot are like the kitchens and baths and flooring, right? Mm -hmm. What can you skip though? Uh, I would say probably uh, on the outside, on the back, you know, the, the patio, uh, you, you know, you don't want to skip things that are going to really bite you. Like, you know, you don't want to leave a leaking roof or anything like that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and uh, I would say anything that, that's maintenance related, that's not handled, it's going to come back and bite you, you know? So, you know, make sure that you don't have any, you know, problems in the basement where you're taking in water roof leaks anything like that right so be you know do a good job of that but you know uh, uh in the back the patio may not be something that gets paid as much attention to i think everybody looks at the front porch you can't help but look at it right yeah. but yeah. uh you know okay yeah and i guess uh and this is again thinking from the developer's perspective but it's I, maybe homeowner homeowners sometimes like if there's something that they can work on or do themselves or like custom make for for their own project or if it's a home buyer you know they might really want to put in their own deck or something like so I guess like extra features like that right extra features like that yeah you know, um, one thing you don't want to spend any money on is any customization you want to keep it plain vanilla so that whoever comes into the property can make it their own you know so no. Um, uh, not, not a not a lot of custom trim or anything like that. You know, you want to keep it more general, more generic, generic. You know. Okay. And I'm I'm getting I'm asking yet again another uh, how much does this contribute to the value of a home question? But Kim is wondering how much uh, does curb appeal contribute to the value of a home? So yes, know. absolutely. And it's one of the easiest things to remedy if you have a bad place because you know the the front of the home is probably the the front facade. Make sure you have the proper landscaping, the proper paint, you know, and all that. It's it's a little easier to remedy. You don't want to you know ha have a a front porch that looks like uh, all the the wood planking is coming apart and you know have termites up there and stuff you know so uh, you want to spend spend money up there to, to make it look good okay um and next is a sort of follow-up question to back when you were talking about uh basements and how if you finished a basement it could possibly be considered a extra bedroom or, or like a three unit it go from a two unit to a three unit what would the um what would the tip breaking point be there before it goes from being considered like a, a basement to a bedroom um could you clarify like when it becomes a basement is there is there well you, you have to have the proper entrance and, and exit you know it can't be all underground if, if you're able to go in you have to be able to go out no fire problems and i'm sure l and i could you know give guidance on that so it you know it, as long as it's code. safe yeah, yeah code you know Okay, great. And uh, this is a, it looks like our second to last question here from Stefan and he's wondering, could an investor submit pictures of the work that was involved in the renovation to use for consideration when getting an appraisal? Would the pics be taken into account when determining a value? So I guess painting like the, uh, the before and after picture of, of a project, would that help? Yeah, that would be part of the before, but in addition to the, the pics, you would want more, you would want, you know, uh, a drawing uh, of the uh, proposed improvements and so, uh, so, along I'm, with the, so I'm thinking about it from the other side is or I think, the other side after after it's right, done right 
Uh, yes, uh, picks are good. It's uh, I think in most cases the, appra the appraiser has the burden of, of doing the inspection, the final inspection, just to make sure it is as the pictures, you know, uh, show that it is. Right. But uh, yeah, you know, the, the uh, just a verification of the pics is, is, is uh, it's a good idea. Okay, great. And uh, our last question here, and we'll wrap things up, is from Rhonda, and she's wondering when does when does zoning come into appraisal? So do you do you consider a project that's verified or that's zoned one way to be uh, more valuable than another? Well, zoning is very critical because you know if you're trying to do something that's not zone compliant, you're going to have a problem, right? Uh, you know if uh, particular zoning does not allow uh, two to four unit then you know and you build a two to four unit <laughs> you're you're not you're not legally compliant so yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's you critical have, you have some bigger problems than the appraised value right <laughs> yes yes and the appraiser should be able to point that out i mean if right from the scope of work they should be able to there's something called highest and best use right. and uh one of the things that's part of highest and best use is, you know, le is a property legally, you know, is it, it's, it's a, you know, can it be legally done, you know? Yeah. So zoning answers that question. If, if it's not properly zoned, then it can't legally be done. And that concludes my conversation with accredited appraiser Felix Aguirre about everything Jumpstarters need to know regarding residential appraisals. And next week, I'll be speaking with Elizabeth Beckett, who is the president of Real Estate Strategies and RES Advisors, about strategies for market research and how you can conduct your own market analysis when approaching investments. The interviews on this program are recorded during Jumpstart Germantown's weekly Jumpinar series, which takes place via Zoom webinar every Monday night at 7 p.m. And if you'd like to participate in the live Q&A with our guest, be sure to head to jumpstartgermantown.com events and register for next week's Jumpinar. If you're interested in starting a Jumpstart program in your own community, you can visit gojumpstart.org and see our how-to guide and open source training workbook. Thank you so much for listening to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show on Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. And be sure to tune in next week.